This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Defamation. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It is Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. The word of the day is defamation. We're going to have a little lesson here today because there's a lot of people who are quite confused having read what Trevor Bauer is alleging. He is suing The Athletic, that amazing site where if you don't subscribe, you're missing out on very important articles, not just in baseball, but in all sports Certainly baseball with Jason Stark, Ken Rosenthal, teams are represented. You've got business stories that are written about. They have podcasts, etc. It's called The Athletic. You should subscribe. There is a writer there named Molly Knight, and Trevor Bauer decided that he was going to file a lawsuit against The Athletic and Molly Knight alleging defamation. There are two types of defamation. One is a libel, or two is a slander. So it's like a defamatory statement is made. People people say, you've defamed me. Libel, just to be clear, is when you write an article. In the article, you say something, and you read it, and you say, my God, that's totally wrong. You can't write that about me. I'm going to sue you. That's libel. You're suing for libel. Then you're telling a joke, you're some in a comedy club, and you say something, you say a bit. It's a bit, let's say, or something. And you say, I'm suing you, that's not true. Don't you tell a joke saying that I'm five foot four. That's a lie, I'm five foot five. You're defaming me. That's called slander. Libel's written, slander, spoken. That's how to remember it. SS, slander, spoken, libel written. So you say to yourself, how can you possibly sue somebody or a a newspaper for defamation? You've seen celebrities do this before. Well, to do it, you have to prove a bunch of things and it's really hard. So what Trevor Bauer is saying is that Molly Knight, who's not at The Athletic anymore, wrote a bunch of articles right around the time that Trevor Bauer was being accused of what he's been accused of, which is having the violent sex and hurting the woman, but then the woman had a restraining order, but then the judge lifted the restraining order, And the reason the judge lifted the restraining order is not that Trevor Bauer was innocent of the charges or did did not participate or did participate in violent sex or sex that resulted in harm to the woman. Uh, The judge was simply ruling that the existing restraining order was no longer necessary because she had nothing to fear because Trevor had already indicated he was no longer interested in being near or around her. So you don't need a restraining order. Then a grand jury was convened, like in the Watson case, and the grand jury in uh, the DA, excuse me, in California did not continue with charges, did not press charges against Trevor Bauer. So Trevor Bauer said, that's it, right? We're good. It's done. 
But now Trevor Bauer has said that a good offense is sometimes the best defense. So he's decided to go on offense by filing this lawsuit. I read all 27 pages of it. And I just want to tell Trevor, because I don't know if the lawyers have necessarily told you this. So hopefully you're watching this program or listening to this program. And you can call your lawyers and say, hmm, I'm not sure we're going to win this, boys. What are your fees again? So one, you have to prove, and this is the plaintiff proving it. The defense, when you are accused of defamation by someone, you can not say a word. There is zero burden on you. The plaintiff has all the burden. The plaintiff is the person who actually files the lawsuit. And so the plaintiff has to prove, number one, that a false statement was either written or said that is purported to be a fact. What Trevor Bauer is saying is there was a statement put into an article that discussed the fact that this woman had a cracked skull and the athletic knew she did not have a skull fracture because they had the medical reports which actually showed that there was no skull fracture. Yet they went ahead and wrote that she suffered a skull fracture. Okay, let's say there's a false statement purporting to be a fact because we read the article and we said, oh, there must have been a skull fracture. I didn't think that reading the article, but let's say you can get past that too publication or communication of that statement is necessary, right? You can't think bad things about someone. You can't think it in your head. Boy, that guy's a bad guy. You have to say it or you have to write it and then people have to see it. So it's got to be published. Okay. We got that. The lawyers are saying, look, it's right here. The athletic website behind a paywall, but you can get a good deal, but it's still published. And also in the lawsuit, Trevor Bauer listed a litany of tweets that people wrote. So be, be aware out there, folks. If you're tweeting, you could get Trevor Bauer suing you for defamation or anybody else could sue you for defamation. Be careful because there we are. That's a publication and a communication. Three, it has to be negligent. Negligence is a legal term. It's a legal boundary that you have to prove that this was done purportedly to hurt somebody let's just pretend that when you say something about someone on twitter you are saying it knowing that it's wrong and you do it in a negligent way let's just pretend that and here comes number four this is the winner i want to know how trevor bauer's lawyers think they're going to get through number four damages harm caused to the person or entity who is subject of the statement here we go why do you sue people you sue people. Celebrities always say, I'm suing to get the truth out. I want people to know that I'm not gay, that I'm not short, that I wasn't kicked off a movie set, that I'm not hard to work with, that I'm not a Scientologist, that I'm not married to three people at once, that I didn't have sex with your boyfriend's girlfriend, sister's cousin's mother. So there's many reasons why people want to get the truth out there. And then they say the damages that are caused this has harmed my reputation. So there are people who could say, let's say in the Harvey Weinstein case, there are actresses who are claiming that they did not get roles. There are whistleblowers who claim that they get fired, retaliation firing, because they blow the whistle, because they go public about something that a powerful person has done. 
There are people in all these news division scandals who have said they can't get other jobs. So there are ways to prove damages. I was making $100,000 a year. I was really good at my job. And then boom, my job was gone. And now I can't get another job. Here's how much I've tried. Here's my, my posting on LinkedIn slash Samson that I've looked at. I've answered a bunch of posts. I can't get a job. So I've got damages. Every year I'm not making 100 grand is because of what you've done to me. You've defamed me either written or oral. So when Trevor Bauer is filing this lawsuit, he's got to prove to win damages. Trevor Bauer signed, and it's contained in this lawsuit, funny enough, the largest contract on an average annual value in the history of baseball when he signed it, having only been overtaken now by Max Scherzer with the Mets, but at the time he signed it, he's still being paid by the Dodgers. So I'm just curious when he gets in front of the jury trial that he so badly seeks in this complaint, will he stand up before the jurors who have an average income because they're average Americans, let's say their income average is $60,000, and he'll say, you have no idea the way my reputation's been hurt. I am a baseball player and I need to work and I couldn't find a job. No, I can't say that. I can't say I couldn't find a job. My reputation was hurt and I could not get paid what I was worth. No, I can't say that. I can't say I didn't get paid what I was worth. I mean, was I really worth more than number one? All right, hold on. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, my client Trevor Bauer has been damaged because people have read The Athletic and they have made a conclusion that Trevor Bauer is a bad guy and they won't follow him on Twitter. Oh, no, I can't say that. My client, Trevor Bauer, has been damaged because his YouTube page does not get enough views and we can't get the subscription revenue and advertising revenue that we want. Well, oh, all right, we, don't, we can't go that direction. My client, Trevor Bauer, has been damaged. We've got to prove it to you. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, look at him. Doesn't he look damaged to you? He hangs out with Rachel Luba all day. That's got to cause some damage. Uh-oh, David, did you just slander Rachel Luba? Prove it. Not sure you're going to get past all four of the things there, Rachel. My client, Trevor Bauer, has been completely damaged. I just said has, has. Cut that. Four, six, nine. My client, Trevor Bauer, has been damaged because people view him in a negative light and it has impeded his ability to make the type of living off the field that he has been accustomed to given his success on the field. Horse hockey. This will be so easy for the athletic to defend. So easy for Molly to defend. They'll actually do a joint counsel, a joint defense agreement. The athletic, in theory, will pay for the defense for Molly, a former employee of theirs. This will not get to a jury trial. He is not going to do this because it's not going to survive a motion to dismiss. And the bottom line is Trevor Bauer wants you to believe him. He wants you to believe that it's all been a big lie, that this woman wasn't actually hurt. He never hit her body parts. He never did anything she didn't want. It was consensual, consensual violent sex that they both wanted. By the way, that's redundant. Consensual means by definition, both people wanted it. And then she saw a way to make money. And I am sympathetic to one thing 
that celebrities and rich celebrities have to deal with. I am sympathetic to that. There are people out there, there are bad people who are trying to extort you. There are people who file lawsuits for the sole purpose of thinking that's their best chance to get money. You have sex with a player, and we talk to our players all the time about this. Be careful who you have sex with. I don't care if it's a man or a woman. I'm saying just be careful because you're not that good looking and it's because of your uniform. And the reality is that these people will want something from you. And if you're doing it outside of your marriage, be even more careful. If you're single, you're allowed to do whatever you want. No one's gonna judge you on that. But that said, when you're single, there's an expectation. Wow, this could be it. I may have caught myself a big fish, pun intended. So Trevor Bauer is not guilty of that. And I understand his need to defend his name given what has been going on with Trevor Bauer. And I understand why he chose to file a defamation lawsuit, but I also understand that it doesn't have a chance. So that's the lesson for defamation. You now know what libel is, slander spoken, libel written. You know that for defamation, it has to be negligent, it has to be public, it has to be published, a third party has to engage with it, believe it to be true, and you have to prove damages. Good luck. So that was news yesterday, but it got completely overshadowed by the NFL players and the NFL owners who had a meeting. I like that they went to West Palm Beach. Why wouldn't they go right now, right? Hang out at the breakers, get all the owners together. So much came out of the owners meeting and like in baseball after an owners meeting, you sit through a meeting and you hobnob and you, then you meet the media. You've got owners who meet the media, but at the end, the commissioner has to meet the media. And so the commissioner does that toward the end, at the end of the meeting, because the PR people for the commissioner's office are aware and pay attention to what owners have been saying throughout the meetings and then know if they have to clean something up publicly or if there's any bullet points they have to get to, et cetera. So Roger Goodell takes the stand, and I say that purposefully because that's what it's like when a commissioner has to meet the media after an owner's meeting. There's a, it's, it's, there's a whole group of reporters. They've got cameras. They've got microphones. They're recording it. And you know that commissioners get prepared. And despite Rob Manford sometimes appearing as though he has not been prepared, trust me, he's got very quality people who are preparing him, but still it can be overwhelming. But you go through Q&A and you get sort of briefed on what's going to be asked about. So you don't have to be a graduate student in PR communications or in crisis communications to know a couple of the subjects that are going to come up when he takes the microphone. One, two, and three are going to be Deshaun, Watson, Deshaun, and Watson. I guess that'd be before. You know you're going to get asked about it because the owners have been very public about this. It's been a huge topic of conversation, the way what the Browns did, the guaranteed money they gave to Deshaun Watson. We're going to talk about what the Ravens owner did in this regard because you do not see this. You do not see what the Baltimore Ravens owner did. But first, Goodell had to answer, you know, what are you doing with Watson? No grand jury has indicted him. So apparently there's no criminal charges, but what's your plan? So Goodell had a word to say, and he had to be very careful. But what he said was interesting. He had to acknowledge, and he did, that obviously these are serious charges, and he doesn't mean the criminal charges. So we're looking at it seriously. 
Okay, I would have workshopped that a little bit. Meaning if they're not serious charges, we don't look at it seriously. I, I don't know how you can decide whether the charges are serious unless you seriously look at it. I guess you judge in advance when someone charges something. Hey, that person wouldn't hold my hand. Well, I guess that's not serious. I'm not going to look at that seriously. That person raped me. Ooh, that's serious. I guess we have to convene a real COCA council here and look at that seriously. Cadell said the personal conduct policy is something that's very important to us, despite evidence to the contrary. That's me, not him. And it does not need a criminal violation in order to pursue it. <laughs> what does football do? How do we let them get away with what they get away with? Is it because they're the NFL and we love them so much and we love the sport so much, we love to bet on it, we love fantasy, we love to talk about it, we love to think about it, we love the violence of it. So therefore, we let all ills be covered by our love. It's just crazy to me. The players who have committed unbelievable and unspeakable acts of violence toward family, toward kids, toward women, it just gets forgotten. Some fans take a stand and say, I'm not going to be a fan of that player. Or if that player's on a team, I'm not going to be a fan of that team. But the NFL doesn't care. We talked a lot about Mike Ryan not being a fan of the, the uh, who is the uh, EP of, former EP of the Levitard show. He's now, I think, in the front office of, the, of Metal Arc Media where he said, I'm not going to be a fan of the Browns anymore. And he was probably their most famous fan other than Bernie Kosar. And he's not a fan anymore. And we talked about the fact that while he's not a fan, there's not one person in the NFL's commissioner's office who gives one flying rat's ass whether Mike Ryan's a fan at all. So the personal conduct policy, while they say it's important, they're doing it because in this day and age, if you don't say that, you're in danger of being canceled. You're in danger of actually having sponsors pull money away. You've got to be on the right side of certain moral issues. But are they in your mind? Certainly not in my mind. But we're going to wait to see what happens with Watson. Certainly not. The Haslams are not going to get disciplined for signing to Sean Watson. That's one of the funny things. The commissioner's office could never be seen to do that. For example, the commissioner's office was happy when someone signed Bauer. They wish someone had signed Bonds, even though no one was going to because we sort of knew we couldn't and shouldn't and wouldn't. But you don't want it out there that you're not having a player able to play or make a living because then, then, by the way, you could get in front of a judge and say, hmm, I have some damages. Nobody's signing me. And then there has to be a jury trial. Well, you're not good enough to play. Well, you're sort of good enough, but you wouldn't make X, you'd make Y. I think it's very clear where Watson is as a player on the field. Very clear. So having Watson play is something that's going to be important, certainly to the Browns. So he'll end up getting suspended, but Goodell was not willing to say when he's going to make the decision, how he'd make the decision, what the decision will be. He was even asked about the salary structure where Deshaun Watson was given that million-dollar salary for next year in case he suspended he wouldn't miss any games. And Roger Goodell said, I hear you, but read the rule, folks. I can suspend him and 
I can find him. So while I could spend him four games and you only lose, let's say, 300 grand, I could find him $10 million. Wait to see, folks. Not an official wait to see, Coca. Don't put it down. But it is a wait to see. I just want you to wait to see. They're not finding Watson $10 million. So what did the Ravens owner talk about Watson? Can you, you know, I did this when I was president of the team, Coca. A little detour. When I got in trouble, and it was not real trouble, when I when Ichiro signed with the Seattle Mariners and I said it was the end of baseball as we know it, it's the end of the world. I like quoting REM, why wouldn't you? It's the end of the world as we know it. And I don't feel fine because now you've moved the salary structure up and we're going to have to pay more for our players because you're paying more for yours. And Seattle refused to admit at the time that the reason they paid more was what Ichiro meant to Seattle, what it meant from a sponsorship standpoint, et cetera. I get it. I just needed to say it so Ichiro's contract wouldn't be used as a comp by agents negotiating with me for our players. It used to drive me crazy when teams would give in in arbitration. Because if you give in to a player in arbitration, that player's salary is used as a comp for your players. And it's not part of the case where you say, oh, that was a bad settlement by the team. You can't say that to the arbitrators. You can't say the owner's a wussy and doesn't want to go to a hearing like the Yankees have never been to a hearing. You think Aaron Judge is going to a hearing? GMAB. The Yankees haven't been to an arbitration hearing since 2016 because they don't want to fight with their players. So any sort of settlements that the Yankees do impacts the Marlins. So I always got upset with contracts that I thought were going to move the salary structure. What Deshaun Watson got moves the salary structure for quarterbacks, period. It moves NFL players toward guarantees in a way that they have not moved before. So Steve Biscotti, who has a quarterback who, for me, Coke, can I say this? You could edit it out if not. I mean, I, I, I'm okay with it because you could say I don't know what I'm talking about. And you can say it to me now. I would rather have Lamar Jackson on my team than Deshaun Watson. All in, the whole package, in terms of talent, in terms of off-field distraction, just I'd rather have Lamar Jackson. And Steve Biscotti has to negotiate with Lamar Jackson to keep Lamar Jackson. And he is in a situation where now Lamar Jackson can look at Deshaun Watson's contract and say, hey, I need more than $153 million guaranteed because that's what Rodgers had, which used to be a record. That's great. But now the number's 230. I'm going to nestle in somewhere right in between that. And take it from me where baseball guaranteed contracts are a thing. When salary escalation happens at the top end, teams get burned. And the more teams get burned, the lower salaries are going to go because front offices are going to find another way. It's exactly what happened in baseball. You've heard the players during collective bargaining say revenues up in the industry, but salaries are down. Yeah, because we realized that paying players not to perform doesn't make sense. No one actually cares. People want to win. In the NFL, people will learn quickly that if you are getting contracts guaranteed the teams can't get out of and you end up not being good or being hurt or not being able to help the team win, teams are going to stop with the guarantees. 
So Steve Biscotti has a choice to make. Does he actually stand firm and say to Lamar, this is an outlier? It's an argument that we would use a lot. Don't talk to me about the blank contract. It's an outlier. There was a specific reason that that player signed that deal with that team at that moment for that amount of money. The agent would then respond, horse hockey. That's not an outlier. That is where the market is for the player. And my player is close to that player, nestles right in under him. So you cannot tell me that that top end number is not relevant because you're just trying to get him at a lower number. And now we're negotiating. But when the parameters of a negotiation change, right? Think about a negotiation. It's sort of simple, right? In a bid-ask situation, which is what a negotiation is, let's say you're going to buy a car and the car has a retail value of 20000 and you have a budget of 10000 and you know that that car is not going to go above retail, you're sort of in the window of ten dollars to $20,000. Then you start negotiating and all of a sudden, word gets out that someone bought that exact same car for $30,000. You then have to change the parameters of a negotiation because the seller could now want 30000 instead of twenty, and you still have a budget and only want to give ten. So instead of a negotiating window of ten to twenty, it's now ten to thirty advantage seller. That is what happens with salary escalation. That's what happens with contracts. Now, in the car negotiation scenario, all you have to do is say to the dealer, hey, that person, that is not even close. It's not even remarkably close to the kind of car, the area of the car, why the person has the car. It was bought by Quentin Tarantino to be part of a film, and it was a budget that's being paid for by producers with overseas money that you can't use that. And of course, the person would say, I'll use whatever I want. That car went for 30 grand. So it's going to be very interesting. The next contract is what we have to look for. What will Lamar Jackson get? What are, is the next quarterback contract going to be higher or lower? I'll give you one spoiler alert. It's going to be lower. How do you think Jimmy Haslam was in Florida? I wonder if Jimmy and D walked around like with their necks up and their backs cocked up in the air thinking how cool they were that they've got Deshaun Watson or did they sort of secret themselves away in order room service I was not on site so I don't know okay a couple other things from the owners meeting we're going to get to after the break uh but after the break we're also going to review a movie that I doubt any of you saw but you should it's on Netflix called Against the Ice we'll be right back Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It's David Sampson. Thank you. Matthew Coca and I come to you every day. Please rate, review, follow on Twitter, on Instagram, on Spotify, on Apple, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And go to YouTube, Blazer of the Day. Just a regular blue blazer today, actually. Hey, Coke, I'm filming the uh, Bob Costas show tomorrow. So we have to actually record a little early. Bob Costas has a show on HBO called Back on the Record, and it's being taped tomorrow, March 31st, which was supposed to be opening day in Major League Baseball, and it's going to be released on Friday. I assume there will be a baseball theme, and I'm excited to see J.J. Redick, and hopeful that Billy Crystal will be in the studio because I will actually be in the studio, and it will be good to see him again because he definitely won't remember me, but I have met him at a baseball game because he likes the Yankees. I will have the Marlins ring on. So I still watch a movie every day. And I watched a movie because it was suggested to me by one of you. You get into my DMs at David P. Sampson and you give me movies to watch and I appreciate it. Someone said, watch Against the Ice. And I don't know who Jamie Lannister is because I've never watched Game of Thrones. And I don't watch Peaky Blinders. So I thought that it was two unknown actors. The, until... I told Coca about this movie and said, we're going to review it today. And he said, that's the guy from Game of Thrones and Peaky Blinders. And I said, huh? So keep in mind that I had no idea. So you may watch this movie or want to watch this movie because of the star power in it. I wanted to watch it because I wondered, is this like the day after tomorrow? The story is about two men who are going through, Chris Cody, you listen to this review, or Adnan, I'm reviewing a movie called Against the Ice. Two men who are trying to not discover Greenland, they are trying to prove that America does not get power over Greenland because they did not properly map certain parts of Greenland, and that's how it works in the discovery stage of this world. If you map it, you if you, if you break it, you bought it. If you map it, you own it. And so these countries would send out explorers to try to explore and discover parts of the world that had not yet been discovered or had not been properly mapped out. And it is a story of, it's a true story, like 1910 or something, of two guys who were sort of stuck in a place in Greenland for multiple years. So it sort of is like The Lighthouse, that great movie with Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. It's sort of like the day after tomorrow because there's terrible weather that causes strange storms. It's a little bit like what's the, uh, the movie, the Iditarod movie that is escaping me right now. So it's got all sorts of interesting components. It's got what happens. It's sort of a castaway. There's a little castaway. You got the big beards going. You have a little bit of delusion. So a lot of things happen. If I were a Game of Thrones fan, it's an absolute no doubter that I'd watch this movie. And given that I like this movie and didn't know any of them, that means if you do, you'll like it even more. Check it out. Plus, you're going to learn about Greenland, which is cool because Greenland is not very green. Iceland happens to be more green than Greenland. I always find that detour, just a quick detour. It, I was driving the other day in New York, and it said, no trucks on the parkway. I don't know what parkway I was on. I can't remember where I was going. And I kept thinking about, and you've heard this routine, and it's just a funny one to me, that you park on a driveway and drive on a parkway. It's got to be so confusing to learn English. 
Like, why would Greenland not be green? I don't know. Okay. Remember the uh, overtime game between the Bills and the Chiefs, that great game in the NFL divisional round of the playoffs where Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen were going like Ali and Spinks, were going like Tyson and, no, not Tyson and anybody. They were going back and forth like Rocky and Drago, like Apollo, punch, counterpunch. And we said, wow, whoever has the ball last is going to win this game. The game goes to overtime. The coin gets flipped. The Chiefs win the toss. The Chiefs score a touchdown. They walk it off. Game over. Josh Allen never touched the ball. And people said, we got to change the rules. Well, the Carolina Panthers had that rule that we talked about. They had an overtime rule change that I thought was interesting that I told you would never pass. But I thought it was interesting. Where both sides get to touch the ball unless the team that wins the toss takes the ball, scores a touchdown on the first possession, and goes for two, and it was the Titans, sorry, goes for two, and that's what Coca does, by the way, in the middle of a sentence. He corrects it so I can correct it with you, and makes it. So you have to score. So the final score, if you go to overtime 2020, the final score, if only one team touches the ball, would have to be 28-20 under the Titans rule. Touchdown plus a two-point conversion. The owner said, no, we don't like that. The owners decided and passed a new rule that the overtime rule in the regular season will remain unchanged. You get the ball first, you score a touchdown or a safety, game over. Well, if you get the ball first and you give up a safety, then the game's over. You get the ball first and score a touchdown, the game's over. If you don't score a touchdown and you just score a field goal, then the next team gets the ball. And if they score a field goal, you keep going because it's 10-minute overtime. Or if they score a touchdown, it's over because they've won the game by three points because it was 23-20 after the field goal in overtime and then 26-23 when the other team scores a touchdown. You got it? It just means that there's no change. But come playoff time, there's going to be a change. Both teams will have a chance to have the ball, which means they're going college. You know, I didn't read that anywhere, Coca. Isn't that the college rule that everyone just gets the ball? And as long as people score the same thing, then you keep playing because there's no time limit in postseason overtime. So there can't be a tie. So if one team scores a field goal and the other team scores a field goal, then you keep going. And then if the next team scores a touchdown, then the next team can score a touchdown. Yes, in college, I think you get the ball like on the twenty. Every time, so you don't have to go very far. And in the NFL, I think the rule is there'll be kickoffs, regular kickoffs, where you get the ball on your own 25 every time because we know that there's nothing more exciting. I think it's the most exciting play in sports is the NFL kickoff. I love that. When you get back from a commercial, they line up and they kick it through the field all the way through the end zone. And then the, the umpire does that gesture with his hand, like up and down. I guess it's exciting to see if they kick it out of bounds because there's such a big penalty if a kicker, that's that's like a, a cuttable offense to me. If your place kicker does a kickoff and it goes out of bounds before getting to the end zone, then you're giving the ball up on the, uh, you get the ball on your own 40, which is unbelievable field position. That is worthy of being cut like on the spot. But otherwise, there's no returning, which used to be exciting, but they're trying to stop people from getting injured. So there's a new overtime rule change, and it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Now, this all came about, as you would imagine, because fans of teams who don't win overtime games because they don't touch the ball, they get upset. Owners of teams 
who don't get the ball and lose in overtime get upset. Owners of teams who get the ball, score, and don't have to give the other team a chance, don't get upset and don't want the rule changed. When, when I was with a team, I thought very carefully about my, what my position would be on different rule changes because I know that over time, it all evens out. So if I'm going to be the beneficiary of a rule change, I know that there's going to be a moment when I'm going to lose a game because of that very rule change that there will be an advantage that the other team will have over me because at some point I had an advantage over them. Roger Goodell, of course, doesn't want to acknowledge that owners may have a different view of this. He was much more focused on you, the fans, because he's trying to let you know how important you are. Your voice is being heard. We listen. We don't just have a diversity and equality and inclusion committee. We have ears and we listen to you and fans, you were unhappy. Now, not the fans in Kansas City, I grant you, but everybody else was so unhappy. Yeah, whatever. So speaking of the Chiefs, did you see this? How many of you, when I say, hey, where's Kansas City? What state is Kansas City in? What do you say? I can't hear you. Oh, no studio audience. I'm talking to shirts from yesterday. I got to get a second dry cleaning bag, Coca, because I put the first dry cleaning bag, shirts in it. I take it to the dry cleaner, and I don't get the bag back until the clothes come back two days later. So therefore, I have shirts from the past two days just sitting here on the break couch. That's ridiculous. I got to ask for a second bag. All right, I'm going to do that after the show. So when I say to the studio audience, what state is Kansas City in? Do you say Missouri? Kansas City, Missouri. Or do you say Kansas? What do you say, Coca? When you're asked. No? You don't say anything? Yeah, Kansas City is a city. There's Kansas City, Kansas, and Kansas City, Missouri. It's sort of like Dallas, Fort Worth. Or Minneapolis, St. Paul. Or Montreal and Quebec City. No, it's not like that at all. <laughs> so the Chiefs announced through their president, not through their owner, because this is the type of announcement that presidents do, that they are looking at Kansas for a new stadium for the Kansas City Chiefs. They've got to replace Arrowhead because they need money to pay for Patrick Mahomes. Arrowhead's kind of old. And they're willing to talk to Kansas. Are people up in arms about that? We did the whole segment yesterday. Meanwhile, I mispronounced the governor's name the entire day in yesterday's show. It's Hochul, not Hockle. Did I get it right this time? Is it Hochul? Hockle? Come on, get it right for me. It's Hochul. Yes. So now the Chiefs are saying, we want a part of that. We're not going to not take a huge amount of public money because now the door's back open and funds are flowing. We're over the pandemic. And if I can't get Missouri to do what I want, I got to make them believe that Kansas could get it. And then Kansas will get the jobs and the taxes, et cetera. So I'm going to put Kansas and Missouri against each other. But don't worry, fans, we're not leaving Kansas City. That is awesome. That is the equivalent of what teams in Miami do when they do Miami versus Broward. If you're not familiar, Broward is the county where Fort Lauderdale is. Miami is the county, Miami-Dade County is the county where Miami is. So you sort of get Miami and Fort Lauderdale to argue against each other, trying to see who's going to give you the most money. But those are counties, not even states. How great would it be to have multiple states? Ask Tanya Snyder. 
Tanya Snyder, who's still appearing at owners' meetings, by the way, because Dan Snyder is still on timeout. Roger Goodell wanted to point that out to y'all, that Dan Snyder's still on timeout. He wasn't at the owners' meetings. Yeah, that's a huge punishment. He's despondent. He's sitting there in his house saying, oh, my God, I so badly wanted to go to the breakers because I have no opportunity to go there other than as a part of an owners' meeting. There's a huge negotiation going on right now with Maryland, with Virginia, even with D.C. for a new stadium. They're getting rid of FedEx Field. That's the field where the, uh, the, the come on, Coca, the stanchion collapsed, and all these fans ended up right next to that Eagles player. Was it Jalen Hurts who had to catch these players? Remember that? And now they need a brand-new stadium, and they're trying to figure out Remember with, uh, yes, that's true, Coca. There was, remember all the wastewater that poured into the stadium, like into the seating bowl? Like 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 the seating bowl is a toilet bowl? People say that all the time. And now in Washington, you can actually say, hey, it's a toilet bowl here. Anyway, what Tanya is doing, don't worry, Dan is no part of it. Dan is just doing foundation stuff. <laughs> G-M-A-B. Dan is negotiating trying to find a way to get a stadium in one of those three states. If you can negotiate with states, you've really got yourself a great situation. So good luck to the Chiefs. They could very easily end up in Kansas, but more likely they will just tear down Arrowhead and build right there where they have been. Nothing personal pick of the day. Did you watch the Sixer Bucks game? Were you concerned when I had the Bucks plus one on the road? Well, you shouldn't be. We're 36 and 27. The Bucks beat the Sixers. Giannis had a great game. Embiid had a great game. Harden had a fine game. But the Sixers just aren't as good as the Bucs. I told you that. Well, tonight we have an interesting situation going on. The Lakers lost last night to the Mavericks because Luke is a top five player. And James isn't playing. Davis isn't playing. Westbrook is playing. You put all those things together. And it turns out that the Warriors without Curry, the Lakers without LeBron, even the Lakers with LeBron, they're just not good. Go look at the standings right now. If you're the NBA, you're not too happy. The Los Angeles Lakers are currently not even in the play-in tournament. They are the 11th seed, and there's only like six games left in the NBA season. The Lakers could miss the playoffs. Greg Popovich is the winningest, all-time winningest coach in the NBA. He's the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, and they have passed the Lakers. The Spurs, who are terrible have passed the Lakers. Well, the Spurs have a big game. They are playing the John Morantless Grizzlies. The John Morantless Grizzlies win. The Grizzlies, like without John Morant, what is it, Coca? Are they 15 and two, 17 and two, 15 and three? Some ridiculous record without John Morant, which is just such a credit to the team they've built around that superstar. But the Spurs have the advantage tonight. The Spurs are getting six points from Memphis, and I think it's too many because the Grizzlies are pretty much set in their playoff position. The Spurs are not, and boy, does Popovich want to get to the playoffs. They're 18-2 and two without Morant. Thank you, Coca. That, think about that. That, that's, that is an unbelievable stat. When your superstar can not be in a game and you're 18-2, and two, that's pretty good. But we're taking the Spurs plus six over the Grizzlies. Okay, to end this show, I want to return now back to the NFL owners' meetings, to the complications that owners have when they're talking about players, when they're thinking about extending players, and they're looking at what other owners are doing, and they're gossiping about, did you hear what he said? Did you hear what they're doing? 
you make yourself look better. You try to see if you can get any sort of PR advantage from what another owner does, from another owner's misstep. So everyone's following everything. Part of the owner's meetings, Jim Ursay is the owner of the Indianapolis Colts, and he went scorched earth on Carson Wentz in a way that I have not seen before. Go check it out, and I just would ask you this. What is the purpose when you trade a player to then go scorched earth on that player? And make no mistake, what Ursay was saying about Carson Wentz is that he was a problem in the clubhouse, he was a problem on the field, that there was no chance they were going to win, that he didn't care about winning. Everything you could say that would sully a player. I mean, we're talking defamation, baby. We had some serious, was it libel? Nope. He said it. Slander. Carson Wentz may have a ton of damages. Nope. None. All of that said, Jim Ursay went crazy. What is the purpose of revisiting an issue? What's the purpose that an owner would have? Well, we've seen teams do this before, haven't we? When teams have to get rid of players or coaches. The Dolphins did it with Brian Flores. They got rid of Brian Flores. And then they did a calculated PR campaign to make you feel as though Brian Flores was not worthy of being the coach of the Dolphins. Jim Irsay got rid of Carson Wentz and wanted to make sure that you were crystal clear why he did it. As an owner of a team or president of a team, you don't have to make it crystal clear. And you're tempted to, right? Because you think that that will help sway PR. You think that that will make your fans less upset over a trade. I did this, folks. I would try to explain things from a baseball standpoint or a business standpoint, trading away players who are popular and good, trying to say we're going to rebuild, we're going to retool, we're going to be a better team down the road. We want this person to play instead of that person. We would come up with every excuse in the book when it was about saving money at the end of the day, when it was about acknowledging that we didn't have the right players. But we did it in order to attempt manipulation of fans. But when you're talking about a player who you've traded and you are doing it in a very, very personal way, I don't get it. So we wouldn't talk about baseball players personally with you. We would talk about on the field. If we had off the field issues, we would call a member of the media and we would leak a little something. Hey, you may want to look into this off the field issue. Why don't you speak to some other players and see if they're unhappy that this player got traded? So we would do it sort of behind like that. Never be the voice of that. And of course, I'm saying never say never. You can go back to anything I've said since 1999 publicly, and maybe there was a time that I did that, but I don't recall doing it. If I did, I was wrong to do it because it's not effective. So what Jim Ursay did to Carson Wentz was both unnecessary, ineffective, spiteful, full of vengeance, vitriol, all without purpose. If you're going to go after somebody, if you're going to choose that plan of attack, you better have a reason. Jim Ursay, what was your reason? It's just business. That's our show. We'll see you tomorrow. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. 
To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.